Welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. I got a great show planned for you today. I say that a lot, but this one I really do mean, and that is because two of my favorite guests are coming on the program. Brandon Marcus is up first to talk Week 14 NFL analysis. We break down all the games, at least all the important games, and discuss some big storylines. The Packers win. Le'Veon Bell is a freak, and the Browns are 0-13. Uh, but anyway, after that, Tyler Tesson joins the program to discuss the NHL storylines as we get into December, a third of the games almost in the books, as well as other topics including NFL, big picture things, the poor quarterback play, and what the league can do to improve the product on the field. All that and more on this edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Here it is, right now. All right, it's time for our week 14 NFL recap instant analysis. And with that, Brandon Marcus back on the show. Another let's, appearance. Let's do it. Let's do it. There's a lot to talk about. And I will say, just getting forward on a quick aside on this show, you made an appearance last week in an interview on the show. Heather Pink brought your name up over a uh, heated, uh, spirited debate over the college football playoff system. So we're going to go to the pro game, but it's like, no, we, we were talking about the uh, four versus 18 debate a little bit last week. Oh, where were we there? Okay. Cause I was yeah. talking to pink about the playoff and who should be in and the PAC 12 title game and what that would mean if Washington beat Colorado and if Colorado would have been Washington. I was talking about USC. I actually had that podcast open to listen to. I mean, now it makes, gives me more incentive <laughs> to listen to it. Yeah, it, there were, hey, you know what, we, we touched on it, obviously, uh, her fighting line I weren't in the discussion, <laughs> but USC, hey, they're as hot as any team, I know you're an alum, but yeah. if, outside Alabama, I think they're as hot as any team in the country, so. Outside of Alabama, <laughs> and then right next to there is Penn State, and be. so USC-Penn State should be a really fun game in the Rose Bowl, I think USC will win by at least 10 points or so. Just because I think their offense is too good, and I think their defense is too fast for Penn State and too athletic. But I've been wrong before. <laughs> we've all we've all been wrong before. We're gonna get into some of that today at the NFL discussion. It's week fourteen, Sunday in the books. We just went final Sunday night. It's the one game tomorrow. But Brandon, I'll start with this. If you had to pick one thing that you're most impressed by, a team, an individual performance on this star-studded day of NFL football. What's one thing that really jumps out at you? Can I choose two? Because yeah. I, I think it's two. Um, first of all, it would have to be Le'Veon Bell and what he <laughs> did with the yeah. Steelers. I mean, 236 yards. And I say that more so because this is a game where the Steelers tend to lose a game like this. Mm-hmm. They go to Buffalo. It's a tough road game. Ben has struggled on the road all season. I mean, the home road splits are very, very obvious. And they just leaned on Bell, and he was a monster. So that shows you what they have and what he's going to be down the stretch. And I think second is going to be the Packers. Everyone thought they were dead. And this is a game that they faced Seattle. Seattle was, I believe, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, even on the road in Green Bay. doesn't matter that Russell Wilson is going up against a defense that we thought was banged up, but clearly the difference is Earl Thomas not being there. Yeah, I want to start with that game. Those are the great individual performance by Bell notwithstanding. The best team performance I saw today was this Green Bay Packers team hanging 38 up on the Seahawks. 
conditions, we weren't sure. They got the most snowfall this weekend in 30 years in the Green Bay area. It didn't affect that Packer offense. That you know, They were 4-6. and six. They were left for dead. They got lit up by the Redskins on Sunday night football. We weren't sure if this was going to lead to some wholesale changes. What we saw was a Green Bay offense. Nothing was really, nothing was really bad. They're getting a little bit of a running game. Rodgers is settling in. Receivers are making plays. But defensively, holding Seattle to 10 points, Wilson looked awful. Multiple interceptions. Five interceptions, <laughs> not multiple. He'll just strip five. He gives you a handful right there. All the stats that were pointed out about how bad the Packers' secondary was playing at the beginning of the year was true. Mm-hmm. But I think that overlooked the fact that they missed a lot of their edge rushers. Now they're starting to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And that's helping. They're healthier. It's a dangerous Green Bay team. And when they're clicking on all cylinders, they're tough to beat anywhere, especially at Lambeau Field. It's a weird Green Bay team because Matthews has been in and out of the lineup. I believe he was going from outside linebacker to middle linebacker, bouncing back and forth there. Their running game has been non-existent after they lost Lacey. I mean, Ty Montgomery's done a pretty decent job filling in. Yeah, Starks has done nothing really. Kristen Michael came in today and had like 10 carries for 38 yards. He hasn't really been the answer. And if you had told me that Devontae Adams would become the guy that he is, I wouldn't have believed it. And he surpassed Cobb as their number two guy. He might be their number one. He might be. Now, I, I put Jordy at the number one because he's still the guy that draws the attention of the defense. They right. like to use him over the top. But Adams is stepping right in there. With Rodgers, you notice when he gets off to a good start. When the team gets off to a good start, when Rodgers is throwing well early, they don't need greatness at the running back position. They just need mediocrity. They need something to keep the defense honest. And if it's a combination of Montgomery... Starks and Michael doing pedestrian across the board, they'll live with that. But that's the weird thing is that I thought this matchup was great for Seattle because even without Earl Thomas, you have a good secondary. You have corners that are not afraid to destroy you at the line of scrimmage. And so you figured, all right, there'd be a lot of short passes because Nelson doesn't have the same separation he used to have. He's not going deep anymore. And I don't know if that's, you know, he had the the bad injury last year. Yeah, the Achilles injury. He may be slowly getting back. We see guys, t- it takes two full mm-hmm. seasons, so he might get back. But there's a chance that he's not going to be getting that separation ever again. Seattle has some serious issues uh, on both sides of the ball right now. The offensive line continues to struggle when teams start pressuring the quarterback. Wilson, again, running for his life defensively. Earl Thomas, we talked about it last week. Second most important player behind Russell Wilson on this team. They lose him to the injury. He's as good a safety as there is in football. But to the scheme that Seattle runs, he does everything for them. He completes the defensive scheme, covers up a lot of holes. And so now the rest of the secondary, the linebacking crew even, they don't look as invincible as they did when he was on the field. Yeah, and you thought that they would be. Back to my, what I was saying is that you think even without Earl Thomas, you'd be able to bang him at the line of scrimmage. You'd be able to stop the run because there is no running game for Green Bay. So you'd force Rodgers to pass, put some pressure on him, and you'd be okay because they're not getting to the second and third level. Because they don't have those receivers, they're going to hit you for 30 or 40 yards like they used to do with Nelson. And even with Cobb, because this year, I mean, Cobb hasn't really done that much. But you're right. It's weird to see the Seahawks have a game like they did last week. Come back and have a dud this week. And I guarantee you, we'll turn the script in four days (laughs) against the Rams and look like the defense that we thought they're going to be. They probably have the easiest schedule from here on out of any playoff team just playing their NFC West foes. If they went out, I'm pretty sure Detroit loses one more game and they could still get that bye and everything could be fine. 
Green Bay, though, they're they're dangerous. Seven and six, three straight wins. Chicago next week looks like a pretty safe bet for four straight wins. All they need is one Detroit loss, and Green Bay's in there fighting for the division on week 17. That's so strange. But the thing that could be an issue is Rodgers' calf injury. If that turns out mm. to be something that is actually a problem, and we'll see early on, Chicago's not bad defensively. It's actually a very good defense that John Fox has there. Right. So if their defense can pressure Rodgers, there's nothing else that yeah. Green Bay has. I'm intrigued. And Rodgers is a little banged up. It was the hamstring two weeks ago, and now it's the calf. There's, there's some things He's there. doing everything. Yes, and that's the scary thing about him, is that he does everything for this team. And we'll see. Can he keep it going? The NFC is still wide open at the top of the conference. Now, we'll switch to the game that just went final. Giants beat the Cowboys 10-7 on Sunday Night Football. Cowboys dropped to 11-2. Both losses to the Giants were now 9-4 and and improved to a very, very impressive 6-1 and at home. Let's start with the Giants. This is a team a lot of people can't really figure out. They can't put their figure on what they are. They had a six-game winning streak. People glossed over it because schedule. the schedule was pretty brutal. The wins weren't that impressive. Yet here they are as the only team to beat Dallas all season, and they've done it twice. What a weird team. Very weird. <laughs> it's not a Giants team that scares you because just like Green Bay, no running game. Rashawn Jennings, nothing special. Paul Perkins hasn't done that much. But the one touchdown, a slant to Odell, mm. and he's just faster than everybody else. And here's why I'm scared of the Giants regardless. And it's funny because they were the team you're scared of in the Coughlin era. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of the Giants now because Beckham. And because they actually do have a defense we saw tonight that can make plays a secondary that's not a pushover anymore. There's that Eli factor. He didn't look great tonight. He was all over the place, had, had all those uh, mistakes, could have threw a lot of interceptions. But he has that big game ability. And now with Beckham there and a defense behind him that's going to keep him in it when they're not playing well. This is a team that it could go a lot of different directions. They have a tough remaining schedule. The Redskins are on their heels. They're no lock for the playoffs, but they showed tonight that if they're on, they could beat anybody. And to beat Dallas twice just shows you how impressive this team is. It doesn't matter the wins they have, the losses they might have, but the thing is they won that many games in a row, and it's the NFL. Yeah, and Every single yeah. week. There's a game that you're going to play, and it's no guarantee you're going to win. So if you can win that many in a row, that tells you a lot. And everybody was kind of treating them like the Rodney Dangerfields of this league. Oh, they beat Dallas week one, but it was week one. They didn't figure it out. Or, oh, you you won six games in a row, but the Browns and Bears were on there. Win's a win. And I, <laughs> as good as some of these teams are playing, the ones that aren't 9-4 and four would like to get to 9-4. and four. I would trade that for the, <laughs> the second. They're so. being the teams that are on their schedule. And for Dallas... What a terrible performance. It was pretty bad. And, and I'll say this. I was expecting a Cowboys bad performance at some point. We got it tonight. I just think the line finally looked human. The offensive line finally, they still played good, not taking anything away from them. But they finally showed that a good to great pass rush can put a dent in their armor. And I think that's how the Giants were able to win this game. Prescott didn't look comfortable all night. No. And he was bad. He was having just a bad game. He was getting a clean pocket for a good three or four seconds, looking over his first couple of reads, and he had nothing. And Dez was terrible. He had one reception, and he fumbled. And so, the drop on the last play. Yeah, the drop on the last play. It's a bad game for the Cowboys, and one that really surprised me. I was expecting that 
yeah, sure, they would have a bad game eventually, but not this week against a team that you already lost to earlier this season. You would think you would want revenge mm-hmm. at their place. You're playing so well, and you can easily shut everyone up that's starting to talk about the Giants and what a threat they are. You right. have a chance to shut up Odell Beckham, and you lose. And I will say on the other side, there are some positives to take away from this, number one being the defense. Played pretty good today. Only gave up 10 points. And really, they're going to look at one big play. They make that, they don't let Beckham get free. They, they tackle Beckham. It yeah. doesn't matter. The other side of that is, and you mentioned this before, Elliott, 107 yards when you didn't think that it was even in play. Just shows you that even in pedestrian games, when he looks average, he's still grinding it out for 100 yards. He's incredible. It's ridiculous. The guy just gets 100 yards at will. And for Dallas, that's going to be the reason why they're going to be a contender all the way until the end because of Zeke. And it's interesting. I still think that Roma would have a very similar record. Oh, okay. Right now, Dak obviously has done well. But with the offensive line and with the way Zeke is playing – I think that Romo would have a very similar record. Well, it's hard to say. That, that's a hard one to say. Romo was great before he got hurt. Everyone forgot about that. He was. But the thing that made him great also was his Achilles heel, the willingness to live on the edge. Mm-hmm. Dak made a lot of plays at the end of some of these games. I don't know how Romo would have done that situation. But, I mean, it's, it's an entirely different argument. I think we just don't know when it's a different gunslinger there it's an entirely different football game and you're you I mean you're right it could be right up there but it could be worse I mean I, I would he know. have gone more than would he have had would he have been able to put up more than seven points today you're probably right and that's the I mean, this is an easy one for today I think we can right an easy one for today yeah. and that's why you're able to bring up this conversation I mean I guarantee you you watch around the horn and PTI tomorrow because <laughs> we're taping this on Sunday night <laughs> Just, they're yeah. gonna be asking should yeah. Romo start over deck? Well, hey, that's just the culture we live in. It's, exactly. It's what have you done for me lately, really lately, actually. So talking with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect, I want to switch now to one division in particular that I'm surprised we're invested in, but it's look, it looks like kind of the best divisional race down the stretch, and that's the NFC South. First, a quick note on the Los Angeles Football Club. It's still brutal. The Falcons beat the Rams 42 to Is that the soccer team or is that the <laughs> NFL team? That's true. I mean, I, yeah, it's, uh, take your pick, I guess. But 42 to 14, this game is 42 nothing after three quarters. The Falcons improved to 8 and 5. The Rams dropped to 4 and 9. I usually start with what the winners did, but man, this Rams team, Brandon, they fumbled the opening kickoff and on the five yard line. And this. I don't know that they're quitting on Jeff Fisher or they're just embodying him, but this is the worst brand of football being played in the NFL right now. They're terrible. <laughs> there's no there's no way to, to sugarcoat it. They're absolutely terrible, and it starts with the offense. The special teams obviously did not help you because right away you put the defense on the heels. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> no, I mean, you can't catch the opening kickoff, and it shows you how much they missed Benny Cunningham because mm-hmm. Cunningham was their normal kicker turner. So that shows you he was somehow important, which you never would have thought that Benny Cunningham would be as important as he is. But if for some reason they're able to do something on that first drive, it's a different game. Yeah, Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu do not play. So you have your top two pass catchers on the other team not, not playing. You're at home. You've been through the ringer. 
You have Atlanta coming that's playing for something, and you just don't show up. You, you beat you, Seattle at home. This is hard to explain how it's gone so bad. Not, neither of us were expecting the Rams to be that good this mm-hmm. year, but there's just no fight there. And it's gotten to the point where, as poor as Je- Jared Goff has looked, how can you blame him entirely or even majority-wise speaking for what's going on? This is a collective effort that starts at the very top of the food chain with Jeff Fisher. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I think Les Snead's involved in this one, too, because if you look at what they've done in the draft recently, they haven't done much to really help themselves. I mean, Tavon Austin, a first-round pick, has really done nothing. And then they, just, but they paid him. They <laughs> just paid him. They completely whiff on... Number two pick. Yeah, Robinson, the yeah, tackle. Yeah, and Greg Robinson, their number two pick. I was trying to figure out if it was number two or number three. It was number two. And then I think Donald fell to them at 13 that draft, so they got lucky there. But the issue today was they gifted the game to the Falcons. The, I mean, you saw the Taylor Gabriel touchdown where he r- ran a corner and there was nobody in the shot. There and that was, was nobody the Nobody in the physical shot on the camera. That was the offense. <laughs> you, I mean, you still have the pick six. Yeah. You have the ridiculous play by Vic Beasley where he knocks it out of Jared Goff's hands and picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown. And you have the opening kickoff fumbled for down to the three-yard line, and then Atlanta scores quickly. So that's three touchdowns gifted that really had nothing to do with your offense. Hey, you know, there's not much we could say other than Fisher has an extension, but we don't know if he's going to be sticking around. We'll see if that matters. The Rams are in some trouble. I think the people of Los Angeles are, are finally... Getting over their post, we have an NFL team high and realizing that the NFL team we have is the Rams. I don't think they care anymore. <laughs> you know what it's like here in Los Angeles. You yeah. like a winner. I mean, there are so many people that were off the Lakers bandwagon in the last couple of years, and now they're kind of fun to watch, even though they're losing the majority of their games. I mean, they're still close to 500, and people don't care unless you're winning. Yeah, and I think the prevailing thought is... We just don't want to be associated with these losers right now. And here come the Chargers. Don't you worry. Well, there's more to that. More to that. Where that came from. Well, the Falcons do what they need to do. They get to eight and five. They keep pace with the Bucks, who beat the Saints again, sixteen to eleven. Bucks going on and tear themselves. I don't know what to make of this Bucks team. I don't want to say that they're frauds, but I can't say that I believe in them just yet. They keep winning. They keep winning the games that are in front of them. It's not pretty, but they get the job done again against the Saints team. Their defense is really not that special either, which is interesting. Offensively, I like Winston a lot. You and I have our back and forth about Winston versus Mariota. Both good. I mean, yeah, I prefer Mariota, but I like Winston. And I like Winston a lot. We have Winston, you have Evans, Doug Martin's back. Charles Sims back off the IR. He provided a little bit today. And even you have Quiz. It's a good running game, good offense in general. But we tend to see in the playoffs how important defense is. Mm -hmm. So that's why you aren't sure about Atlanta and you're not sure about Tampa Bay because it's two teams that their defenses are kind of up in the air. I still would give a slight edge to Atlanta. Yeah, same here. I like Quinn. I like Beasley coming along on defense. I think that scheme is going to be better for them down the stretch. You know what? Next week is the game. They did great. Breeze had an awful game. I think it was his first time in like 10 years with three picks and no touchdowns. But they play Dallas next week, and that's a game where if they win, I will say I was wrong. This is team is for real. This is a game now Dallas, with a loss, still has stuff to play for. They just Tampa Bay just wins these clunky games. There's always a safety in there somewhere, and you just, you're not really sure what's going on with this team. But Winston is a great leader. 
He has all the physical tools. The decision-making is the one thing that scares me. Oh, well, and he I, forces things. I worry about him in a tight game against a good team, a playoff game, if he's going to be able to make the right decisions. Yeah, that's the issue, is that he'll force plays. I mean, a couple weeks ago, he threw what should have been an easy interception that was dropped. And he just forces balls into windows they probably shouldn't force him into. But still, I like what he's got. He's been a pretty good leader, which I think is really important, as he's done a good job just leading that team. And Dirk Cutter's done a really nice job in his first year as head coach. So still talking with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. I want to switch now to the AFC West. And Thursday night, we did see the Chiefs, another team that had a season sweep over a playoff team. The Chiefs beat the Raiders. They get to the top of that division with the tiebreaker. And now the Titans from the AFC South beat the Broncos 13-10. to now, are we at a point with this division where it's starting to really take shape? Now, suddenly, the Chiefs have a clear path to a division title. And the Broncos are a team that are in trouble. Very big. Not they, just for division. They needed this win badly because they have New England, they have Kansas City, and they have Oakland as their final mm-hmm. three games. And three really tough teams. And Denver's not guaranteed to win any of those games, which is so strange who would have thought that would be the case, but it's going to be up to Trevor Simeon to do something. And that's Denver. We've been talking about running games tonight. No running game whatsoever. Book and four sets. Stink. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the main reasons why Simeon looks so – he did not play well today. There's no shirt coding that. But the running game was bad too. So he's behind the eight ball. They, they couldn't get anything on first down. They were playing, playing long ball all game. Denver is an interesting team to me because defensively, I like what they can do. They did a great job against Mariota and company today, but you get the sense that it's the offense that paces this team. When they're playing well, it's the offense eating up clock. The defense played well, but they were on the field all day today. I think that's just a terrible combination to have. Yeah, I think Kansas City's the team to beat. Right there with Oakland, though. I think they're 1A and 1B. I got to go with... I got to... Define themselves as up ahead of Oakland to me. I think Oakland's a playoff team. They're they're probably going to win a first round matchup with the AFC South winner. Yeah, but the Chiefs and I've it's their about, defense. And I I think other than New England, because of for obvious reasons, New England, I like the Chiefs over anybody else in the AFC at this moment. And no Gronk too. I'm just saying if New England doesn't, if they're not serious about things with Baltimore and Denver back to back, the Chiefs get that home field advantage. It could be a game changer. Yeah, I mean Kansas City all of a sudden with. Houston back, and with what they're doing defensively, and the offense with Spencer Ware, Tyreek Hill all of a sudden has become a major weapon. Oof, maybe the fastest player in the league. Like, yeah. It's scary. He can run the ball, he can catch the ball, and returning, he can kill you. You can't kick him the ball anymore. So he's become a major weapon. The issue with Oakland is their defense. Um, we'll be curious to see if Alden Smith can somehow <laughs> Get come back. Yeah. yeah, because I think he'll help out the defense a lot if, if he, he does come back. When he does come yeah, back. but with Oakland, their offense I think is better than Kansas City's. But like I said just a couple of minutes ago, I give the nod to the defense in the playoffs. And I do want to point out before we move on the Denver Tennessee game that Tennessee did win to get to the top of the division featured one of the more ridiculous moments of the year: the fight between Talib and. Harry Douglas. Dirty hit. Uh, yeah, you know, it, I'll, I'll say my piece. I'll let you go on. I had no problem with Tlaib. And Tlaib showed why the entire locker room loves him. He does dumb stuff on the field and off the field. But he's so respected in that locker room because he stands up for his team. And there is no place for that hit in the NFL. 
very dirty by Douglas going along, Chris Harris, until he handled it. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. Right there with you. And what's interesting is that Harry Douglas then decided to call out Harris afterwards and say, do you not watch tape? I do this every single time. It's a simple run block. And it's <laughs> that's like, you so don't go, dumb. Now the league's on notice. Not, well, it's also not true, but it's also the league's on notice. Now. They're going to be watching this guy all the time. It was, it, it was uncalled for. There really was no reason to do that. He's not even engaged with the guy. He just goes low on him. And Harris is lucky he escaped major injury. That could have easily been a, a torn ACL. We forget how big even the receivers are in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous play. Good for Tlaib sticking out for Harris. And Harry Douglas, I mean, come on. Yeah, well, I didn't think we'd work him onto the show before Christmas, but Harry Douglas there is, you a, go. is a talking point, so that's there. Well, I do want to transition to the AFC South because the Titans win. Texans beat the Colts. Jaguars, we can just put them in the corner until the springtime like we do at this time every Gross. year. But so you have Titans 7-6, and six, Texans 7-6, and six, Colts 6-7. Six and seven. I think the Colts are still in it because of their two wins over the Titans, but I still think 9-7 and seven at best wins this division. I think we're in for a lot more losses in the final three weeks. What a bad division. <laughs> just a terrible division. In Tennessee, you kept wanting to root for them like three or four weeks ago. And then they go and lay duds in their division games that they, they're supposed to win. I know. Of all the games to lose, they lose the most important ones and beat the better teams. Exactly. Like you lose the games in division where if you would win, you would have a huge advantage down the stretch. And then you beat Denver to help you kind of stay with the rest of the teams. But still, I mean, the Texans, big win for them. Huge win for them. Brock Osweiler... <laughs> Was not very good. <laughs> Lamar Miller. That's a surprise. Lamar Miller was good. <laughs> Osweiler did make a couple of good throws, but the defense. I mean, Clowney was a freak of they nature. It. And I'll. It, here's the other thing. I actually am intrigued by the Texans winning games because we could be looking at a first time in my lifetime, at least, a new starting quarterback for a playoff game. I want them to make the playoffs with Osweiler playing so bad. That they make the change going into no the wild card route. Not happening. It's not. But it, but the thing is, like his defense, he should really be thanking his defense for having a job. Because he's they're the reason why he's winning these games. Yeah. He's looked poor. They rely on the run game. They rely on the defense. The Colts are still a mess. They call the screenplay on fourth and one with the game on the line. So let's just to put it into perspective, they were down by five points, ball around midfield, plenty of time on the clock. Over between a minute and two, I can't exactly remember, and they call screen pass. I they're they're a mess too, but you can't count them out of it because they have two wins over the Titans. This is gonna be and they have Andrew play. Luck. They have the best quarterback in the division. I think they could still do it. I think Aiden could also win this division. I really do. It's gonna come down to the last couple weeks. Tiebreakers and who can win in division and get the big victory that you really need. Well, let's go now to the another division that it's going to come down to probably the last week of the season, but in a more positive light. We mentioned the NFC North with the Packers winning. Lions and Vikings both win. Are we looking at an NFC North that is likely going to have two playoff teams? And if so, who do you think has the inside track for it? It depends on Rodgers. How healthy is he and how is he going to look in the next couple of weeks? I think if Rodgers is the Rodgers that helped them get to this point, I think you'll see the Lions and you'll see the Packers. But you will talk about injuries. How affected is Stafford going to be by his injury? It's truly amazing what the Lions have done. I was wrong on them 
a number of times early. Stafford is playing the best football of his career. Even when he was injured, he was able to come back and play well. You do wonder. It's a throwing hand. It's what he makes his money off of. How is it going to look? He's going to have to play with that glove on until he gets surgery in the offseason. I can't sleep on the Vikings, though. Because now it's 7-6 and six in a defense that's playing better. And the elephant in the room that is Adrian Peterson. I was looking ahead to Week 17 with it was Green Bay and Detroit. Now i got to look at Week 16, Minnesota and Green Bay, as a potential playoff eliminator game. How awesome would it be if AP comes back for that game? Somehow, he just makes it all the way back for that Week 16 game against Green Bay. That, that's been the issue for Minnesota. Is they have no running game. No, none at all. And I'm not a Bradford fan. I don't think you are either. But it, you can't put a lot of this on him when they can't run the ball whatsoever. No, the defense has been good. I mean, you have Diggs. You have Thielen. So you've got two decent wide receivers. Really nothing that's great. I mean, Rudolph has been good as a tight end. Bradford's been okay. But you need a running game. That's just so weird. I didn't expect to come here tonight and talk about so many running games because you see so many committees around the NFL. Yeah. But how many teams cannot run the ball? Well, the funny game would be if we took a casual NFL fan today and said, who led these teams in rushing today? Can you name them? And even people that follow the sport would have trouble. Like, would everybody know that Dwayne Washington was the Lions leading rusher today? No. It's, it's the state of the NFL. Part of that is we're more pass-happy league now. Mm-hmm. Part of it is injuries, part of it is guys getting banged up, and you know, coaches that just want to play the carousel game, that don't want to have a bell cow, that want to mix it up and ride the hot hand. Case in point, the Washington Redskins that were Matt Jones, and now he's scratched, and now they have Robert Kelly and Thompson score the game-winning touchdown. So, At least that's worked for them. And yeah, same yeah. with Atlanta. I mean, the reason why they're, they've done so well and why they did so well today, even though, I mean, Ryan had three touchdowns, but he needed to throw for over 300 yards. Coleman and Freeman, the two of them have been great. Just to kind of put a bow on this NFC playoff picture, still talking with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch effect. If you have two NFC North teams in, then you really run the risk of where's that second wild card going to come from? Is it going to be one South team? The East, I Are think. There, yeah, then Redskins and Giants both can't make it. That's going to be a fight. Redskins win today in a game that they had to have, and they got it done by the skin of their teeth. But they're a team that, to me, would. But I think they might have the most upside in a playoff game because if that offense is clicking, they can be dangerous. But the flip side of that is when they're not going well, they are not going well. You know, I like the Redskins a lot. and they, now they have Josh Norman, who's helped the defense a lot. and There's a lot of pretty good teams. Seems like more in the NFC with yeah. painting it out. And I would say with Norman, he's been a game changer on defense. They they don't have the best defense. The secondary is not amazing. Their linebackers are just pedestrian. Kerrigan's a great pass rusher. When they're not getting pressure, they can be thrown on. They can have the ball moved on them. The running game to me, Kelly and Thompson go. This is a top, I'd say top six offense in the NFL with a good running game the way Cousins is throwing. But that's the thing. They need to run the football. And they've got Garcon. They've got Crowder. They have a really Jordan good Reed offense. Jordan Reed is amazing. Yeah, Jordan on. Reed, when he's healthy, has yeah. been really good. So they have six options between the two running backs and three wide receivers and tight end. So you've got a lot there. But if you look at the Bucks and the Falcons and the Giants and the Cowboys and the Redskins, I mean, you've got a lot of good teams there. And then you have the Packers, the Lions, Vikings. Yeah, and it's funny because two teams we had a name in there were the NFC Championship matchup last year, the Cardinals and the Panthers. On the outside looking in. That's why I like how the NFL's parity structure is set up. There's a lot of teams that are in it, and I like the turnover. I don't like to see 
Well, you do have the Patriots, but I mean, that's just to be expected at this point. But there's always a team that goes from last in their division to first the next year. Yeah. Always, every year. Hard to explain. Well, before we wrap this up, Brandon, I want to talk about the AFC playoff picture. And one team we didn't discuss yet was the Miami Dolphins. Now, they get a big win today over the Cardinals, but a even bigger loss. Ryan Tannehill's out. By the time this show goes up, he might have the official word, but it looks like a torn ACL. I don't know, man. And I'm not, and I've been hard on Tannehill. I'm not the biggest Tannehill supporter. But the drop off between him and Matt Moore would be catastrophic. And, you know, now, now I wonder about the Dolphins' chances at all of going the next three games winning and getting into the playoffs. So next, next week they have the Jets. Um, that'll help. <laughs> That's nice medicine. Yeah, yeah that'll help. Um, the one issue is is that the Jets are good against the run, and they played the Dolphins well historically. It's a division yeah. rivalry game, and they, they can stop up. the run. So Ajayi most likely will be bottled up, but who knows? He's been a really they, good. Yeah, injury and and Revis Island's been been open for rent for a while. So but who will get him the ball? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Can Matt Moore get it done? And I think he's been a backup for long enough that I think he'll be serviceable. But I don't think the Dolphins have enough to get into the playoffs. I wonder too, and you hate to see an injury, you know, transition how the playoff picture is. Now, what's that record going to be? Now I'm starting to think ten and six, maybe even nine and seven for that second wild card spot. You mentioned Denver's brutal schedule. The AFC North. There's another big showdown. If Baltimore loses tomorrow to New England, then we have Baltimore Pittsburgh showdown there. I don't know what the second best record is going to be in the AFC mm-hmm. North. This opens things up a bit, this injury. I really do. Because I think the Dolphins with the win today should have had the inside track. I don't think the Dolphins will get in. But that is a huge game tomorrow night with Baltimore and New England. If Baltimore wins that, I think they are pretty much are going to lock up their spot in the playoffs. But I'll just show you a lot about them and show you that they're one of the top teams and a force to be reckoned with. So if you put them in with the Steelers... And then you go... AFC South is only going to have one yeah, of course. team. <laughs> Please... No more than one. And then you look at what you have in, in the AFC West with the Chiefs, yeah. and you have the Broncos, and you have the Raiders. Wow. Sounds like you're leaning Denver doesn't get in to north, to west. I think so. Just the Pats in the east. Well, I would say tomorrow's game, and we can just end it on a, a quick preview of what we're going to see, Ravens and Patriots. A lot riding on this game, not just for the Patriots, not just for the Ravens, not even just for their divisional races, although the Pats have it sewn up just about, but the playoff picture as a whole. One of the first times you could see a lot of teams rooting for the Patriots in this case, except for, I would say, a Kansas City Chiefs team that now has aspirations for that top seed. Baltimore is a fearless football team. I think they're going to go into this game with a lot of confidence. I think it's going to be close. I think they can pull off the upset if they can get the running game going. If Dixon is their guy now, if West, that they can combine and play well, I think that can be good. New England, one of their low-key uh, weaknesses this year has been their front seven. They're not very good. And I think if, they can, if Baltimore can run the football, I like them in this game. Yeah, because if you remember, Seattle played New England on a Sunday night, and Seattle's offensive line looked great against New England. So if you give Flacco time, he's got options that he can hit in the receiving game. He's got two good running backs. Baltimore can keep up offensively. This team's not the same without Gronk. No. So it's Edelman, no Amendola. So it's Edelman and Mitchell. That's what I was going to ask you. Who's the guy they go to? Bennett's banged up. I think it's Edelman. Mitchell? This is the hot name in the fantasy landscape. Yeah. Is he Brady's starting to throw to him in big situations. Is he the guy? It's those two guys, and I think what we'll see a lot of is the two running backs. 
I think we'll see Lewis and White out of the backfield. Mm, I think those, those two guys will probably help Brady out a lot because Lewis has been great in his last couple of years. Obviously, since returning from the injury, he's been pretty good. So it'll be even, I think. And Baltimore tends to play New England close. So I th- I'm in agreement with you. I think it'll be a close game. I think New England barely wins, but I think it'll be a close game. I'll, I'll win Froggy. I, I went upset Baltimore. I'll stick with that. I, I think they're going to pull it off. I just think a lot of teams, the young Raiders included in that, would be a little tentative in this game. Baltimore with Harbaugh, with Suggs back there, with Flacco, who's playing the best football of his career right now. Not kind of the playoff run. I don't think they're going to be afraid. And I think they can go in and win this game. And New England isn't the dominant New England. They're still a very good team, a Super Bowl front runner, but this isn't the best version we've seen of them. So, we'll see what happens, man. Hey, there's only three weeks left of the season. It's crazy, down, right? right? I, it is. It's crazy. And I, I don't know if we say this every year. We probably do. But I do feel like there's so much to be decided. Not just a couple matchups that we think, okay, it's going to be between these two teams. There's entire races that we have no idea what's going to happen. I think it's always like this because you have the division games at the end. And so, so much can happen. But it'll be a lot of fun because you now have injuries getting involved with Rodgers, Stafford, and Tannehill. Those three guys getting hurt this week. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen with the Chargers and Melvin Gordon because they could have been a team that could have hurt some of the AFC Mm -hmm. West teams if they were healthy. It's going to be fun down the stretch. Certainly will be. Well, Brandon Marcus, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. And yeah, before I let you go... I see you got your Clippers shirt on. Chris Paul, unbelievable 20, game. 20, baby. 20, 20, 20. That's the best part, the zero. No turnovers. First time ever a hey. player has gone 20 points, 20 assists, and zero turnovers. Hey, you know, it, it could be a year for them to – I see. I mean, they need – I just want parity. I don't want the same two teams playing in the finals this year. So anybody new to the party, I'm all for. I'm so with you. <laughs> so let's see something different. But Brandon, thanks for joining the show. Happy to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Brandon Marcus for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking NFL action. For your listening pleasure, Brandon was on to talk baseball during the fall, but this is a jack of all trades. He knows practically everything there is to know about all sports, so I'm glad he could come on and bring some more knowledge to the show and paint the picture for what should be a great final three weeks of the NFL season. All right, next up, it is Tyler Tessine. He is a former St. Louis University Billiton classmate and hockey teammate of mine. We used to chum it up about hockey and football all the time in school too much. Probably why our grades weren't that good. But as we move on, it's uh, no different here. We're going to talk about hockey, talk NHL action, see why in Tyler's minds he thinks the Blue Jackets and Flyers have gone streaking through the quad and up to the gymnasium. And we'll talk about the NFL, what they can do to improve the product on the field, the poor quarterback play, coaches that could get fired, and MVP discussions as well. Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. Here's that interview now. All right, now joining the Money Mitch Effect. Back on the show, regular guest, Tyler Tesson, friend of mine from college, big sports fanatic like myself. Tyler, thanks for joining the show on this Sunday evening. All right, thanks for having me, Mitch. Appreciate it. We're going to talk NFL because there's a lot to dive into with that in a little bit. But I want to start with the NHL. It's already December. Hard to believe that we're approaching a third of the season being done. 
a lot of interesting trends. We we like to say we can predict some of this stuff, but some of it is just too hard to predict. And if I told you right now, Tyler, that the two hottest teams in the NHL, objectively speaking, would be the Philadelphia Flyers and the Columbus Blue Jackets, I mean, I almost I could I almost got that out without laughing, but. Flyers and Columbus are the two hottest teams in the NHL. How much of this could have been even possibly on either of our radars going into the season? Yeah, I mean, the way they both finished up last year, and you all know Columbus, they've been just kind of selling off everyone the past couple of years. So I know you definitely have to be happy with how this is going. Well, if you would have told me, especially after the World Cup of Hockey, after the John Tortorella show for Team USA, I would have been completely stunned. But... In their defense, I'll say health has helped. Bobrowski is still an elite goalie. He's been injured a lot the past couple of years. It's nice to see what he can do with health in front of him. But And I keep going back to this other point, too, Tyler, that they traded Ryan Johansson, one of the premier forwards, and it was an ugly, ugly set of events. He wanted out. They ended up with Seth Jones, one of the premier young defensemen. They had Weinberg with him, and they're suddenly building from the back up, and I think it's working for them. Now, obviously, they got some good young forwards, too, but they're actually playing defense for the first time that I can really remember. Yeah, and I mean, even someone like Nash, who, you know, it's been a couple years, but a guy who's a face-year franchise, pretty much who everyone looks at as the Blue Jackets and the year rid of him and kind of start over from an identity standpoint for the team, that's a big adjustment, too, even though it is, you know, years in the past. Yeah, and I would say even going back to those Nash years for Columbus, they never were this deep up front. Nash was probably better than any player that they have currently now at his peak, I'd say absolutely sure. Brandon Saad's good. They have depth with guys like Calvert and Atkinson, and I really think that they're actually acquiring some good young talent. It's taken time. They've had to clear off a lot of bad contracts on the books, but I think... What they've done is certainly sustainable to at least get to the playoffs. Now, the problem is their division is just so damn tough with Pittsburgh, Washington, and New York, the Rangers. But then here are the Flyers with nine straight wins. That, to me, and and I'm not being biased here, is even more stunning than what the Blue Jackets are doing. Nine straight wins for a team that got to the playoffs, didn't go out in the best manner, but yet nine wins the first time they've done that in over 20 years. You know, the Flyers have talent they've had talent the past couple of years but it's just kind of getting it all to come together and be more of a team and I think that's where they're getting to now there's a team out of Columbus and Philly I could definitely see staying that I, I want to see a little bit more from Columbus the thing with Philly that's stunning to me is that they're doing this I mean they're essentially doing this by offensively winning games with that are shootout type scores 6-5 5-4 and also, like today, when they beat the Red Wings, beating them one nothing in overtime. So they're actually playing good on both ends of the ice. To me, I still need to wait. Their goalie is Steve Mason, and I'm just not going to believe it until I see it play a full season. I mean, this is the same guy that led in a 75-foot goal last year in the playoffs. So I'm just going to wait a little bit. Yeah, and the other thing with both of them is their division is just so tough. You know Washington's going to turn it on at some point. New Jersey started hot, but they're kind of regressing back to the mean now. But, you know, if the Islanders can get on a run, tough division to kind of sustain that throughout the year. Yeah, and I also think, too, looking at the at that division, Tyler, I think it's good for Washington this year to actually have some adversity. They're going to make the playoffs, and I think, you know, it's all about peaking at the right time. But last year they kind of coasted to a division title, and I don't think they were really in gear when the playoffs came around. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have Ovechkin. He hasn't even really got going yet. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before he starts just pumping them in, you know, a couple of games. Yeah, and, you know, the Rangers still with the top goal total in the NHL, a remarkable thing there. But I still come back to Pittsburgh and what Crosby's doing, Tyler. I mean, we both marvel about the guy. And now he's 29, been in the league over a decade, which is in itself hard to believe. But now, at this point in the season, we're not even at Christmas. He's got 20 goals with two weeks to go until Christmas. This, this to me, is, I don't want to say the best hockey he's ever played, but the best offensive hockey he's ever played. Yeah, especially from a goal-scoring standpoint. You know, when you hear Crosby, you usually think of more of a playmaker, but now he's turned himself into more of a goal-scorer. You know, before it was always Ovechkin was the natural goal-scorer, and Crosby was the playmaker, and... You know, this year, Crosby's blown Ovechkin away in goals. It's so stunning to see, and there's no real reason to expect this, given that he had the concussion scare before the season started. You'd think, like last year, or in years past, it'll take him some time to really get going. He's hit the ice, you know, skating out of his mind. I mean, what he's been able to do, and the Penguins, to me, even, even with their last championship notwithstanding, they're the team to me that is the standard bearer. Like, if everyone's playing their best, I still like Pittsburgh in a seven-game series. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, you know, Malkin still, he's having a good year as well. So, if you have both of those guys going, you have Kessel, you can never count them out. No, you certainly can't. Uh, we'll switch now to the Atlantic Division, talking with Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. The Atlantic doesn't really hold a comparison up to the Metropolitan Division, but there's one team that does, and that's the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know about this team, Tyler. I mean, they're 19-6-3, and 41 points, which is good for best in the NHL, tied with the Rangers. But are we sure that this is the best team in the East or one of the best teams? I don't know if I'd put them as the best team, but when you have Price and Ned, who, you know, one of the top goalies in the league, he can keep them in pretty much against any team. So, you know, they're a team in the playoffs. As we all know, you get a hot goalie, you can ride them all the way through and you can potentially win you a Stanley Cup. Right, and I do have to ask, I, and I'm a Carey Price fan, I think he can play as good as anyone in the league right now at the goaltender position, but how, I don't know if you saw it, but when they played New Jersey, how was he not suspended for just throwing kidney punches with his blocker? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah just... I, I have no idea how the league let that go, but <laughs> I feel, I've, it, yeah, it's yeah, pretty I've, ridiculous. I've always seen that once, and it was uh, a, a guy that we both know in college, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, no. But in seriousness, I think he's the the edge is running off on him from a guy like that they picked up Shea Weber, who's brought a little edge to their defense. And it's not just Price; it, oh, it's a lot to do with him. But their defense, the way they're playing, they've really adapted to this new mentality of we're going to keep the puck out of our net first. And I don't know who in this division in the Atlantic can really challenge him for the division title and the top seed on their side. Yeah, and, and that's the thing in their favor. It, you know, I don't, I don't really see anyone challenging them, so that'll definitely help them going into the playoffs. Looking at the Western Conference right now as we switch, switch over to that, the Central Division is paced right now by the Chicago Blackhawks, who with 40 points have four-point advantage on the Blues. The Blues have a game in hand, and then it's the Wild, who are right there in that third spot with 34 points, just six back of number one. So the Blackhawks, again, it's the same old same with them. They just keep reloading and, and nothing seems to change. I wonder if we're just, at this point, Tyler, we have to expect the fact that the Blackhawks are always going to be here or will a drop-off be anywhere in the future? Because right now, 
this team just continues to reload. Yeah, as a Blues fan now, I hate to say it, but I pretty much just assume the Blackhawks are going to win the division every year because it's just, you know, that's just what we've come to expect here. It's just it's getting a little old after a while. Yeah, and I will also say to go off that, They've gotten some good minutes from some backups and reserves because they have had injuries. Crawford hasn't played a lot. Taves is battling his injury. Host has missed some time. Yet the, the wheels just keep churning. Joe Quinville, who did coach your St. Louis Blues uh, back in the day, is still finding a way to get through to his young team. The Blues, on the other hand, you know, it's funny to say this with them because usually you know what to expect from Hitchcock during the regular season. But this has been a pretty streaky team this year. Now, still a very good team. But, like, today they lose to the Wild, play a little bit of an uninspired brand of hockey. But they have turned it on at times this season. Would you? Th- how would you assess how they've played so far? Yeah, I, I think streaky is the right word. I mean, Schwartz was out in the beginning, which was a huge blow. Fabry, you know, had just an awful start to the year. Tarasenko, you know what you're going to get out of them. Mm-hmm. But if you could get Schwartz and Fabry both going, that's really what's going to, I think, decide how far the Blues go this year. And looking at the rest of the division, Tyler, you have the Wild with 34 points, but then it's a big, big drop-off. Some teams that are really underachieving in Nashville, in Dallas. You see one of these teams making a move here, or will it be the Wild in that three spot with the Blues and Blackhawks going forward? I would say the one team I could see making a move would be Nashville. I don't know. I I still feel like when we get down to a playoff time, they're going to be right there, and I still think they're going to find a way in. Yeah, I, I still there's too much talent there. The moves they've made, Subban, the Johansson trade from last year, I think there is too much talent. You do wonder, though, if Pekka might be slipping a bit. I think that's a realistic possibility. That's what it's going to come down to. If, if he can get going and get playing where he was, I, I think they're definitely in the playoffs. But, you know, if he can continues how it's going, it could be, could be tough down the stretch. And it's funny, we both don't really have a lot of faith in Dallas given all their offensive talent. They just can't figure out how to play defense and have a goaltender between the pipes that's reliable. I don't know why they haven't figured out the fact that that's what you need to do to have sustained success in this league. Yeah, I would say goaltending is the big reason why they're kind of a team I really just don't see making a push this year. Their inconsistency there, and, you know, we saw in the playoffs last year, it's just they just can't find a solution in that. No, there's nobody you can rely on. They didn't address it, and it looks to be much the same. And a real quick note, too, Tyler, on one of the teams that's, that's having a rough go this year, the Colorado Avalanche. So they played the Canadians a couple nights ago, and they lost 10-1. to And I was having the discussion that if, if I'm in that game, and I know if you're in that game, there's going to be a lot of penalties <laughs> taken, not just yeah. losing 10-1. to It's just it's one thing to get blown out. But to just let it happen, I think that's the real takeaway and just sums up what a lost season this is and it will be for the yeah. Avalanche. And just think how that game goes with Patrick Watts still the coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he is, uh, wow, there is going to be uh, hell to pay if that happens on his watch. Oh, yeah. I, I think they probably would have just had a bench-clearing brawl after seven goals. I don't, I don't think he would have allowed it to get to ten. <laughs> No, I like I like the odds on that. I and mean, that's one thing I missed that we didn't get to see with Waz, an NHL head coach, the uh, bench-clearing brawl and a blowout. But, hey, you know what? He looks like he's the smart guy here. I think he saw how bad this was going to get, and he got out of there. Yeah, yeah, no, look, looking at it in hindsight now, he, he definitely made a smart decision. And now we move on to the Pacific Division, still talking with Tyler Tesla on the Money Mitch Effect, which 
in my opinion, I think we can say the worst of the four divisions right now, but surprisingly has both wildcard spots as well. Right now it's the Ducks on top with Calgary and San Jose in those two and three spots, Edmonton, LA in the wildcard spots. And I'll just say, just being out here for one, I think the Kings are just happy that this is the case, that they're only five points out of first given that they didn't have Jonathan Quick for the entire yeah. season. Quick and Kopitar's had, you know, he hasn't had a great season this year either. So those two factors in there, your top two guys, if you're just in the hunt right now, you've got to be pretty happy. And I look at it from the sense that Anaheim still with an edge talent-wise. I'm not really buying Calgary too much. Uh, they are they are on a six game win streak, which kind of snuck under everybody's noses as well. It's funny because of all the teams at the top of their divisions, they're they're still a negative in the goal differential at negative five. But San Jose is one where I've been a little disappointed with them. They're kind of similar to the Blues, up and down. It's a roller coaster with that team, and you'd like to think that they can build off of last year's finals run. Yeah, I I think. San Jose is going to end up challenging Anaheim for the division. I see them passing up Calgary here at some point in the year. I just they, They're just way too much talent on that team to be playing the way they are. No, I'd agree with that. Brett Burns has his contract now, and you, you might think maybe he was a little distracted to start the season out, you know, wanting that mega deal. And they did stumble a little bit out of the gates, but 7-3 and three in their last 10, it looks like they're starting to turn the corner. Martin Jones settling in. Thornton still playing at a high level. This is a very dangerous team. And lastly, before we move on uh, to some other stuff, the Edmonton Oilers were the team that were on top of this division for most of November. Yet here they are at three, three and four in their last ten, and in the wild card position, has the fall back to earth started? Do you think this team will bounce back, or is it going to be a slide in, in typical Oilers of the past decade? You know, I, I think they're kind of regressing back to the mean, but I, I still think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're just kind of, you know, on a down streak right now, but I I still think they're going to get back going, and they're the best player in the league right now. Uh, you could say that's debatable, but, you know, he's, McDavid's playing out of his mind right now, and I think he's going to get them going. Well, it's debatable for some. I think he's definitely the best offensive player in the league with yeah. what he's been able to do. And that's the difference. They are playing slightly better defense, which is, you know, they weren't playing much of any in the past couple of years. And uh, <laughs> given that Talbot seems to be at least a solid goalie, that can bode well for them. I still have my questions about how they can, if they can grind out games, play good against bigger teams that are going to try to punish McDavid and their star players. But I'm glad you brought up McDavid because an interesting point with that, 38 points on the season leads the league by <laughs> practically a mile at this point. But he's been showing some uh, of his feisty side. He got into it with Brandon Manning of the Philadelphia Flyers Tower at the end of their game, uh, saying that he basically was bragging about injuring him last year when he broke his collarbone. McDavid kind of lashing out. And I, for one, I enjoy seeing this. I like to see this guy speaking out and saying something because you know a player of his caliber is going to get targeted and punished by the opposing team. Yeah, and I, I think this just gives more, you know, confidence to him and really shows why he's wearing the seat for the team. He's willing to stand up for himself, and, you know, if he's willing to do that, you know, he's going to stand up for teammates as well. It just gives more of an edge to the team when you see your best player doing that. It's just going to get everyone going. And to kind of explain both sides of it, I mean, we know how this works, Tyler, that that's how it works for the lower-level guys like Manning, who's a third-pairing defenseman. His job is to get under McDavid's skin. His job is to rough him up. And McDavid, you know, has to 
not go down to his level, but also can't get pushed around. So I think it's good. I don't have a problem with it either way. Not at all, yeah. The young guy standing up for himself, showing the league that he's a goal scorer, but he's also willing to stand up for himself. I think it's awesome. Before we wrap up the hockey conversation, I want your prediction on something right now. Who do you think is going to be Rookie of the Year this year? It looked like it was going to be a runaway train opening night, but now I think we're both not so sure. I This is tough. I think maybe, you know, Line came in and he's just sniping now and he's just climbing up the goal scoring, you know, stats. So it's going to be hard with how he's going up late to put anyone against him. Yeah, as, as good as Matthews has looked and continues to look, Man, I can't, I can't see him beating Line now. As as strange as that is to believe, as much of an about face as I've done, because Line is sniping, as you said, he's locked in. He has a game that it just translates wherever he's at. He's going to be able to score goals, and the Jets are better than the Leafs. The Leafs are a bad team, and Line is going to have a chance to put up points in a good system. I don't know that McDavid's going to have that luxury. Yeah, and with Matthews, you know, he started out, you know, he's got the four-goal game, and then he has, you know, almost like a two-week streak there where he's not scoring any goals at all. Lately, he's picked it up a little bit, but it just seems like he is a little inconsistent to, you know, hold on for the year. You know, line is tough. It's going to be tough for anybody to beat him for rookie of the year. All right, now I want to move on to the NFL, talking with Tyler Tesla on the Money Mitch effect, and it was a busy Sunday. We're recording this on a Sunday night where... Cowboys and Giants are locked in a tight one at the time of this. But, Tyler, there's a growing sense of, I don't want to say alarmant, but worrisome about some of the product that's been played on the NFL field. I can't remember a time when there's been as many just mediocre games. And I'm wondering if it's a combination of the Thursday night game, of the contract situation, or just players that are beat up and and not really healthy. But I don't know if you would agree. I think that's one area I would like to see improved. Yeah, the Thursday night game is just, they're all, you know, I, I can't remember a great one that we've had all year, especially people that are paying close attention fantasy-wise. It's, it's risky to play any player on a Thursday night just because short recovery and then the offense just can't get going. And I, I would say another thing I was reading a while ago is just how much younger the NFL's going. You know, mm-hmm. obviously your key players like quarterbacks, you have some veterans, but line and receiver and running back it's just getting younger and younger every year yeah you have a salary structure that's geared towards pretty much encouraging teams to cut bait with expensive veterans to go with the younger guys to fill the voids of their their quote-unquote not important positions so you have linemen you have guys in your secondary that don't know what they're doing and without a developmental system there's a lot of guys that are learning on the fly and you think it's not important but then your quarterback's out with a separated shoulder, you know, then it affects the entire team. And I do think it's a combination of all this. We're still big football fans. We're going to watch the game regardless. But I don't know. You might be right. I mean, I'm, the more I'm reading about it, it might might be time to get rid of the Thursday night game just for the product's sake. Yeah, and I'd say the other thing, too, is probably the reduced full pad practices. You know, there's such a limitation on, you know, how much contact they allow and, you know, how many practices you can have contact the league's getting younger, but you're also taking away that game-type situations and practice that they're facing that these guys that are Mm -hmm. coming in the league new, they just don't have, you know, you need repetitions to get out there and to be ready. Yeah, that's uh, that's one way to look at it for sure. I think they're lacking in practice time, shorter recovery, and that game on Thursday night. 
we just to some of the problems that we're having but it is still an enjoyable product I will say though the most interesting most important most intriguing position maybe in all of sports is the quarterback in the NFL and it's funny with all the people that play football that want to break into the league the quarterback position we can never seem to have a deep pool of talent I would say right now Tyler we're looking at between I'd say 15 and 22 legitimate solid NFL quarterbacks yeah, and then after those 15 to 22, it's just, you could almost throw anybody out there, and I think they could do what some of these guys are doing. It's yeah. just the drop-off is just it's insane. I know, and it's almost creating a tier for us where before it was only the great quarterbacks can win Super Bowls. and I mean, obviously you're at an advantage when you have one of those guys. But now, because of how bad the low end has gotten, it's like if you have a solid quarterback and a good defense you're almost in a much better position than any, when half the league. Yeah, I mean, look at someone like Alex Smith, who you'd say, I would, you know, I would say he's about the average NFL quarterback, and he has a great team around him, and they're a good team this year, but they're a team that can contend for the Super Bowl, but you put one of those lower-end quarterbacks on a team like that, they're going to be under 500 and not a playoff team. That's just the drop-off there is right now. Right, and I think you can easily tell when – that happens when you have a team that ha- looks like a promising defense but doesn't doesn't have the quarterback in place. Or I would also say not being sure. Another area of the quarterback thing that's an interesting wrinkle is what do we get from years two to three? It's It seems like it's getting a little easier to identify as fans, Tyler, when busts are busts. And I'm going to use the Jacksonville Jaguars as my example on that. <laughs> yeah, I Bortles is one guy you'd have to say if you're – you're the Jags you just you've got to be willing to move on after that but then you know you have a guy like you know what do you feel about someone like Tannehill I feel Mm. like he's kind of one of those guys who maybe that 22 range somewhere in there is that you just give up and say all right let's move on or do you give him a couple more years right and Andy Dalton's the same way he's right in that range too just fits right in the middle it's tough because then you think maybe you might be trapped with that guy uh, I don't know. That's a tough debate for these teams to have. Look at a guy like Marvin Lewis. You stick with a guy like Dalton, and you know it may end up costing him his job just because you you want to be loyal to your guy. But if they can't get the job done, you know, in the end, it's your job. Right. There's uh, there's certainly a lot to to selecting your quarterback and also figuring out who's going to be the coach to lead that young guy. You, we forget how important that is. Look at some of the good situations that the quarterbacks that do succeed. You know, they have good coaches, good systems around them. Last thing I'll say, though, about this, and I am actually on board with this plan. I don't know how legitimate it is, but the biggest story around the league right now in terms of a potential trade for next year is what the Patriots are going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, who looks like he's going to be at least an average quarterback, and that's putting it mildly. But they're going to want to haul for him a couple picks, maybe a couple first-round picks. The Browns want to throw their hat in the ring. They have the ammo to do it. And to be honest, Tower, I'd be all for it. I'd be all for that as opposed to a rookie out of college that you don't have any NFL tape on. Yeah, I mean, at least you've seen Garoppolo in a game situation. Granted, he's on the Patriots. They have a great system that he knows, so he's in there. But at least you have a proven guy you're bringing in there, you know, more proven than someone coming out of college. Mm-hmm. It's going to be But dude, are you more willing to throw your hat in there after that game today, though? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got it locked up. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, flea flickers in your own end zone are kind of cool, so maybe we could just ride out the ride RG3 experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. The team is so bad, and, and 
they need help in a lot of positions. Obviously, you have to get the quarterback position right. But I would be fine with Garoppolo keeping a guy like Kessler, who seems like he's got career backup written all over him, and uh, just moving on from the RG3 experience project disaster that's happening right now. So what do you think it would take, like, in a package to get Garoppolo? It would take, I think New England's going to want two first. Now, I think there might be, given how desperate some of these teams are, a market for that. If it comes down to player personnel, there's nothing that the Browns could give them <laughs> that, would, that yeah. they would want. But at the very minimum, a first and a second to get Garoppolo. Because you got to think, he could be a top 15 quarterback in the NFL, and he's, 20, he's in his early 20s. That's a huge, huge asset, as big as it gets. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll have to monitor that. All right, before we wrap this up, I do want to discuss the MVP odds right now. And going into last week, I brought this up on the show. Ezekiel Elliott was the favorite to win the MVP this year, which was staggering to think. Derek Carr was second. Brady and Stafford were in that tie for third range. And you had guys like Prescott, Cousins, Rodgers, Russell Wilson. But right now, as we've had another Sunday pass, a couple games left, Brady's still played it tomorrow, tonight, if you're listening to this. But who do you think, Tyler, is the MVP favorite right now? I would have to say going... After last weekend, I think I would have had Carr as my guy defeating a VP. But after that debacle on Thursday night, I don't, you know, yeah. I, it's bad to say one game changes it, but that was just so bad. I think, I don't know, as long as Brady just has a decent game tomorrow, I think it's hard to go against him. You know, Elliott's been having a great year, but I just, it's hard for me to get over the fact that that offensive line is just so good. I just... Yeah. Trying to decipher how much is him versus the line tough for me. Yeah, and I'll say, too, the, the only reason I think Brady is at the top of the discussion is because there's no real dominant candidate. I think it would be tough for him in most years to make up the ground that he's been able to make up. I think that's just a product of the field. And I'm with you that Elliott has the line, has Prescott, has that record that you're not sure how much is him. The guy I think we're, we're forgetting here is Stafford. I've been hard on him for a while, but they're 9-4. They're the two seed in the NFC right now. If they win the division, if they win out, I mean, why can't he win the award? Yeah, and I mean, for a while the division wasn't looking that great, but now, you know, the Vikings are coming back on, Green Bay's getting going. So, yeah, if they end up winning the division, it it's hard to make a case against them just with how consistent he's been this year. I'll say with Carr, he's still got three games left. He still has time. If he plays well in those three, I think he could vault right back in. But this could be one where we don't know who the MVP is until Week 17. And I actually am a fan of that because that should mean stars are playing in Week 17, even if they have things wrapped up. I think another dark horse in it, though, too, is Rodgers. I mean, he's been playing out of his mind of late. You know, and if they could win out and somehow win the division, he could definitely have his name in, in the hat by the end of the year. Oh, yeah, he's right there. Now, I worry, he's been getting banged up. You know, he hurt his hamstring a couple weeks ago, his calf this week. Uh, he says he's fine, but we'll see. I mean, Rodgers is, is playing at another level, and, uh, hey, it's good to see he's playing well if other areas of his life aren't being very well. But, hey, he's <laughs> playing pretty well. Yeah, no, I mean, that was that was an impressive performance today, playing Seattle D, one of the best D in the league. And, I mean, he just torched them for three touchdowns today. So, I mean, that was very impressive. He did. And before we get to the end of this, I, I want to ask you, 
if you had to pick right now, Tyler, one coach, the first coach to be fired, who do you think that's going to be? And I ask that now because we could have a firing tomorrow. <laughs> um, I would, I would say who I deserve to be fired would be Jack Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah. I just took a straw poll and everybody else agrees too. <laughs> yeah, I mean that one. There's just no doubt. He, that guy's just stealing money every week. I feel like from it's the Rams. It's literally the greatest Ponzi scheme in all of sports. Like I, I actually respect it now. How he's been able to pull it off for so long. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think Hugh Jackson's gonna get? You know, I know they haven't won a game yet, but I feel like you got to give the guy two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, but I, I feel like he's him. the most likely with just the way the season's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say my choice for most likely now is Rex. Rex could be yeah. gone tomorrow. There's reports out of Buffalo that that could happen. Now I don't know that anyone gets fired till the end of the season. But if it's not Rex, I think the smart money's on Gus Bradley in Jacksonville. <laughs> Which yeah, is and there was that Thursday disaster. night game midseason where people were thinking he, he was going to get fired right after that when they got blown out. So there was a play today, and I'll just bring you up to speed if you haven't seen it, where Jacksonville is down by, I think I want to say nine points today with about two or three minutes left, and they tried a 61-yard field goal. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that, he's at a loss for everything right now, and he knows, he knew weeks ago that he was going to get fired. I just think it's inevitable at this point. Yeah, I, I think there's potential to have a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. I think you can say Bradley's gone. I think you can pretty much assume Rex is gone. But then you have guys like Chip Kelly, you have Chuck Pagano potentially, Marvin Lewis. There's been talk about. There, there's <laughs> there could be quite a bit. Is McCoy safe in San Diego? I mean, that's another name to throw out there. And there's and John Fox would be another one I think you could throw out there. Yeah, wow. We are going to have a lot to discuss. And the Jets might have quit on Bulls. It's it's refreshing to know that, you know, well, the Jets win today, but everybody's beating San Francisco. So we'll have, to see yeah. what, we'll have to see what's up with that. But all right, before I let you go, Tyler, I want to walk through the current playoff picture. Right now, if you had to call your shot for the playoffs... How would you paint that picture, six teams in each conference? Who do you think it's going to be to get in? So AFC, you know, we have New England, we have the Raiders, you got the Chiefs getting in, Mm -hmm. and then I think you pretty much, man, Broncos are going to be tough there. I mean, you know, you have Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos, all in one division fighting for it. But yeah, Texans, I just, I don't know, I just don't (laughs) believe in the Texans at all. It's hard for <laughs> that yeah. Osweiler is going to be a playoff quarterback. Right. I think I'm going to go with the wild card and just go with Titans there. I, I think huh? that may be more hope than anything, but I would say go with those six for the AFC, but me and the Ravens are coming on strong. Okay. Well, I'll give my AFC teams first, then we can go over to the NFC. But I'm with you on Patriots winning that division. I like the Chiefs to win the West. They you know two wins over the Raiders. I think it's going to be too much ground to make up. And then I'm going to say the – I like the Ravens to win that division. I just think they're a more consistent football team. And if they win tomorrow, I think they're putting everybody in the NFL and notice that they're – Yeah, I, they have so. a good chance. I think they're going to have a good chance to win that game tomorrow. They always play New England tough. I would say that. I'll go uh, – you know, I, <laughs> it sounds really dumb for me to say but that division is bad. I'll still say the Colts. They've beaten the Titans twice, so even at 6-7, and seven, I don't believe the Texans either. Titans are a good story. Mariota's maybe my favorite young quarterback right now, but I think if they can get to 9-7, and seven, 
Even 8-8 eight eight could win this division. That's how bad it is. Yeah. And, yeah, I would say that second wild card. I still like Denver to get in and have three West teams. I know they, they lost today, but I think they're going to do it. And how now would you say the NFC is going to look? Yeah, the NFC is a little more clear-cut. I mean, I, I Dallas is probably going to wrap it up tonight. I think the Lions are going to end up winning the division. I, I just don't know if Green Bay or the Vikings can win out to challenge them. I like Atlanta in the, in the South. I think they're going to end up winning. I still just not... Tampa Bay amazes me every week. I still just am not a believer in them yet. And then obviously you're going to have Seattle taking the West. The two wild cards, I think I'm going to have to go Green Bay. Man, the last one, I'm not a big believer in the Giants either. I think I'm going to go Green Bay and maybe go the Redskins. Okay. Well, we're pretty similar on this. I'm going to say Dallas wins that division. Seattle, those are two gimmies. We can just write them down in stone right now. After that, I would say the NFC North is going to come down to that last game of the season because I think the Lions will lose one of these next two games before that. The schedule is pretty tough. I'll say they lose, and i say the Packers win out and win the division, but the Lions still get one of those wild card spots. So we flipped that. I do like the Falcons, uh, Tampa Bay still. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about them. They keep winning more power to them, but they win these ugly clunker games that involve a safety. So I, I don't know that they can sustain that. I'll stay Giants over Redskins just because it's a lot of ground for Washington to make up. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stay Giants there. I like their defense a little better than Washington's, although I do like what Kirk Cousins is doing. Yeah, Cousins has been a great story. I mean, he's coming in after RG3, and then they – ship off RG3 and Cousins kind of just steps right in and makes him a contender. Yeah, I think it's going to be a wild race to see those wild card spots in the NFC and in the AFC too. But you could have potentially two, three division playoff teams with the NFC East and the AFC West. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Tyler Tesson, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. And yeah, one last quick thing. You still confident on a Patriots-Cowboys Super Bowl? I know that was your pick earlier. Yeah, I, I'm still feeling pretty good about that. I, You know, Seattle would be the only team for a while there in the NFC. I was thinking that could take the Cowboys, but they're just so inconsistent right now. And Russell Wilson just can't seem to get it figured out week to week. Mm-hmm. Show glimpses of hope, and then he'll go out there and throw five interceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say the Chiefs on the AFC are the top threat to the Patriots given what they can do matchup-wise. Yeah. I think it's very important that New England gets the home field advantage. I don't think they want to go into Arrowhead for the AFC Championship game. No, not at all. And Gronk being out is a killer for New England, but Brady always seems to figure it out. Yeah, yeah that's the one constant in this crazy NFL, is Brady just figures it out. All right, well, thanks, Tower, again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Thanks for listening to today's edition of the Money Mitch Effect. And as always, thanks to both guests for coming on the show, Brandon Marcus and Tyler Tesson. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the hot fire tracks 
of the show, making it sound that much better. Thanks to Brian Nelson for designing the logos that you see when you click on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening to The Money Mitch Effect, which you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And hey, if you're not listening to J. Cole's new album this week, which was an absolute classic, listen to this podcast or listen to it in your spare time. It should be pretty good and should do uh, wonders to, you know, alleviate the pain from a long work week that's coming up. That's what I try to do. I just try to make people want to talk about and listen to talking about sports and uh, get distracted from other things. But in all seriousness, thanks for listening to this week's show. Got two more shows planned this week with a slew of guests, a lot of different sports being covered. So stay tuned. It should be fun. I'm Mitch Michaels signing off. Thanks again for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. I'll see you next time.